1: We welcome back Peter Hyatt today to continue a discussion about the book of Romans. Peter has been a lifelong serious student of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He's the son of a Presbyterian minister who became a Presbyterian minister himself. And then ironically, his understanding of grace grew to the point that it exceeded the capacity of the evangelical Presbyterian church where he had been in ministry. And so long story short, Peter is now the pastor of the Sanctuary Church in Denver, where the good news is that God's grace is not limited in either its power to save or in its availability to all. Peter is preaching now through the book of Romans, and we continue our conversation about Romans today with the sixth chapter. Welcome back, Peter Hyatt, to the Grace Saves All podcast. Yeah. Hey, thanks, David. It's great to be with you. All right. Let's start with this question. Peter Hyatt, why do you think it's good news that you're dead? yeah yeah, well,
2: because I'm my own biggest problem. I mean, when I really uh, get down to you know why do I stress? why am I nervous? what what what, what are all the what are all the things that really uh, haunt me? It all has to do with my uh, myself or my ego, what Paul would call the old man. So uh, discovering that he's actually dead is something of a relief because I I think in so many so many ways we're all trying to kill the old man and be set free from ourselves. And maybe that's the big shock in the gospel is that the very thing that Jesus is wanting us to set us free from is ourselves. And we have always have this weird sneaky way of twisting things around so that ourselves save us from God. But it's God that's interested
1: in saving us from ourselves and help us to be the self that he made us to be. Now, you make really interesting uh, connections in your sermons to some movies that might be a little surprising. And one of the connections you made with this has to do with the the movie, The Sixth Sense. Could you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: you know, The Sixth Sense is such a, that's, I think, one of M. Night Shyamalan's first movies and kind of rocked everybody's world because you watch this uh, movie where Bruce Willis, the main character, he's a psychologist, ironically, and he's having trouble in his marriage. You know, his relationships aren't working out and he meets this boy who sees dead people and he's trying to figure out whether this boy actually sees dead people. And then at the end of the movie, and it's been out a long time, so hopefully this is not a um, surprise for anybody Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, he discovers that he's dead, which uh, explains his relationship difficulties and why he has, you know uh, why he has so many troubles, why he's isolated himself, why he seems to be addicted to his work. And once he goes through that realization, that uh, he's actually dead. The the movie kind of ends in a fascinating way with a flash of light, and he, you know, he's and he he leaves his wife and and goes off into the light. Um, but I use the movie, the clips from the movie, because uh, it turns out that's actually I think that's actually a very biblical idea, and. Part of the, you know, you said you wanted to talk about Romans six, and I kind of panicked a little bit because there are so many paradigm shifts in Romans chapter six, and and yet um, maybe that movie taps into them. Um, but one of them is what death is, uh, what ghosts are, what what um, Hades and Gehenna are, um, what I am. I, I mean, I. It, the second sermon in Romans 6, titled One Tree and Two Me's, which um, I think is the idea there's one judgment. There's one judgment from God, and Scripture talks this way over and over. The problem is there's two different me's, um, and one me is trapped in the other me. My new me is trapped in the old me. And so God's setting me free from my old me, and that then that gets into the issue of what's slavery, what's freedom. And then by the end of chapter six, Paul's talking about fruit, which blows another paradigm wide open because the way we the way we get fruit is very different than the way you produce works, um, but it has to do with sex and marriage and babies and all sorts of things. But but the first thing um, about death is yeah is rather shocking um, because I think Paul is going to say here at the start is. Uh, your problem is that you're dead and you don't know you're dead and um i think that's uh, what what in, in popular culture people would call a ghost and in my uh weird experience praying for people dealing with stuff like at this old church that we rented i i partly i began to realize no those uh, i think a ghost is what scripture's talking about someone that's trapped in hades and um it's someone that's stuck stuck in their old psyche, even after after their body's dead. So let me mention this real quick, and then we I should probably we should could launch into things. I I think biblically the way Paul looks at a person is that it, everybody has this uh, body of sin and death, and he's going to talk about that in Romans chapter six. But we also have a, a physical body, and we have a, a psychic body. So when you get to First Corinthians fifteen, he'll talk about the the psychicos body, and the pneumaticos body. So I have a physical body that's all about itself. It's focused on itself. So my, we can talk about this in Romans 7, my physical body, uh, it's rather shocking when you analyze it, but it exists by eating life and basically pooping death. It, it is all about itself. So my physical body only feels its own pain. It only feels its own pleasure. And then Paul talks about this body of Christ, where somehow I feel the pain of other people and I feel the pleasure of the entire body. But I think he's, he also says that we have a psychikos body that goes along with that, which is a, like a psychic body. And the word psyche in Greek is fascinating because it's often translated life or self, or more strictly, it should be translated soul. But I have a, a mental map that I live with and my old psyche is all concerned about me, and I think in a kind of a rough, loose way, you could call that my my ego. And I think Paul is saying, I think all the script, I think Jesus is saying, I think all of Scripture is saying, is that if I don't lose my old psyche, if I don't surrender my old psyche to God before I die, I can be um, trapped in that psyche after my body dies. But that doesn't mean that um, truth still can't get to me. It doesn't mean that God can't save me. It's, but it's the realization that I can't save myself. So souls that end up in Hades, um, well, they are, uh, they are trapped in, in a sense, but they're not trapped for God. They're, they're trapped because they believe that they are their own salvation, and they're not. So they're trapped in an illusion. And that's the same illusion that we're all trapped in. That's the illusion that gives me such anxiety and fear, the waking realization (laughs) that I can't save myself. So what is a ghost? It's someone that's trapped in that place after the body dies.
1: Well, one of the things that I've thought about is that in a way, this is kind of like waking up and that you at some point were awakened to this understanding that you can't make me happy you can't yeah. save me. um <laughs> me is yeah. kind of a, me is a little bit of a problem. But once you realize that me has died in Christ, then you can begin to live in a new way. And so one of the things I think that you're doing is just helping people to wake up. Yeah. Wake up to this and it's such a relief to wake up to that's <laughs> a huge relief
2: to wake up to. So what you just said, I think, is so profound. I, I, I think when we when we go to Scripture, we this is what our flesh does. It automatically assumes that Scripture is saying, try harder. But when you pay close attention to Scripture, you realize it's saying, try harder until you realize you can't do it, and then wake up. And I think the old covenant, you could maybe roughly call try harder even though it's the old covenant it's all about the new covenant and the new covenant is wake up the biblical word for that is repent have a new mind and and when you think about consciousness it's fascinating that every every night we go into a different consciousness which is a dream and in the dream i create my own reality And I think Jesus is the word from beyond this world entering our dream saying, uh, you are dreaming that you're your own creator and your own creation. And your dream is turning into a nightmare. And I'm here to wake you up to the fact that you've always been loved and you will always be loved. But as long as you remain in this nightmare, um, life is, yeah, is awful. So the good news is wake up, dad, dad loves you. Wake up and,
1: um, See who you are. Yeah. There's a passage, uh, Second Corinthians, I know we're gonna get to Romans six, but in yeah, a way, Second yeah. Corinthians five fourteen kind of sets the stage for Romans six because there Paul makes this very dramatic statement. One has died for all, referring to Christ, therefore all have died. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, right.
2: And I and I think that's that's part of the paradigm the fascinating paradigm shift that uh, to ask the question, well, what is death? And the first and second death are things that John talks about, Revelation talks about, Paul talks about, um, and that in some amazing sense, th- the, the I-, I think the cross is dramatically tied to the tree in the garden. So the moment we try to justify ourselves, we enter into death and we cut ourselves off from The life of the father, because in just trying to justify myself, just trying to make myself in the image of God shows that I'm um, I've entered my own dreams because I'm not my own creator.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, let's try to wake up a little more as (laughs) we uh, as we get into Romans chapter six, and there's a lot more that you know that we can talk about that, that we could get to, or can, or are going to be able to get to. But I thought we just go through each verse and see what kinds of things, um, yeah, uh, sure, come out in our um, conversation. So Paul begins, uh, and I'll, I'll be doing, I'll be quoting from the NIV, but I but we'll also just be considering the original greek and other translations so i'll just quote the niv just to get the conversation started okay uh, verse 1 what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase yeah yeah
2: well i and that's because of this uh, statement that paul made in chapter 5 where sin increased grace abounded all the more um, and if you if you look at the if you're a more literal translation. Um, I, I usually use the ESV, but then add to it because modern translations cut stuff out. Is and and you know this, David. In verse one, he says, "Are we to are we to continue?" And ESV says, "In sin." But in Greek, there's an article in front of the word sin, so it says, "Are we to continue in the sin?" And the way Greek uses articles is different than English. But there's a reason that I think Paul puts the article in there, and that is that he's talking about a specific sin, uh, the sin, which I think he's referring back to the garden story. That's the big sin. What was it that um, that first Adam did uh, at that tree? And then there's also an article in front of grace that the grace may abound. And I think that also refers to something that the second Adam did at that tree, so, if you remember the temptation of the snake to Eve, who is also Adam, because Adam and Eve are one flesh and one person, and all of an Adam, of course, means humanity, is that the snake said, "Hey, look, take knowledge of good and evil, and use it to make yourself in the image of God." Um, the theological word for that is justify yourself, which means make yourself right. Um, so. When Paul asks the questions, are we to continue in the sin in order that grace may abound? I think he's saying, should we keep trying to justify ourselves? And I think his answer is going to be no, because we realize that we've already been justified in Jesus.
1: That's what we also find out at at the tree. Another uh, thing that is interesting is that, well, I, I think you're right about, Paul is referring back to this garden story because he has clearly set that up in Romans 5, that that's what he's, he's really talking about Adam and Christ. And so he's, he's, he's got that story in his mind, but it's interesting that in, in Romans 5, he's really made a lot of universal statements about who you talked about that, who we are. Yeah. And that somehow just as we were all affected by Adam, we are now all affected by Christ. So when he says, what shall we say then? This is, what shall we, the redeemed humanity uh, that has now been covered in the righteousness and life in Christ, what shall we then be doing? Um, So it's not, at least I don't see it, uh, as it it certainly applies to the Christian community um, in Rome, but it also applies to humanity. There's a there's an, a larger incorporation that's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. So when when Paul uses the word
2: Adam um, for the Hebrew mind, and obviously now he's sending this to he's sending this to Greek, so he uses the Greek anthropos, but he's already he's pointed out the story in chapter five. People know that the word means humanity and just by sending this letter to the Romans, he's not sending he's sending it to people he hasn't met yet. So it's a it's a general epistle.
1: All right, let's look at uh, verse two. Uh, By no means, and then that's the answer to that question: Should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a. I had
2: to brush up on some of my Greek working with this because if you were to just read this and Transliterated in the Greek, it would look something like um, "By no means, how can we who died the sin still live in it?" And there is no, there is, there's no uh, preposition to. Uh, sin is in the dative case, which means the translator has to figure out what is the author saying. And you know, as I wrestle with it, I go, I don't know exactly what it means to die to sin, but if it's translated. We who died in sin, I go, okay, well, I think that's exactly what that first story is about, that God said the day you eat of it, dying you will die. We also die by sin because the sin is what cuts me off from God. It's choosing isolation from God. And in a sense, though, we also die to sin in that um, if I when I come to Jesus and I die with him, I, I'm... I'm am confessing that sin. So, the dative case can can mean to in or by, and I think Paul is harking back to the to the garden story, which is also the story of coming to to the cross. So, I mean that's a paradigm that I think most people don't talk about. That I think some of the early church fathers saw and artists see. But when I when I come to the cross. I I die to my ego and I receive a new identity which is Christ's identity.
1: I've enjoyed uh, Jonathan Mitchell's uh, commentary on Romans called Just Paul and he makes that same kind of note there he says there's another important view in reading this noun as a dative of reference that we died to or with reference to failure in missing the target that of being God's image bearer through obedience to his arrangements we are thus dead to the old creation dead to the old humanity dead to the living out of covenant and going our own way dead to the sin which is again this you're talking about this is this is personified almost we are dead to the sin
2: yeah which, which in I other words i, I think you, you wake up to the realization I, and this works on so many different levels. So anytime you try to wrap up the, the cross in one simple statement, there's always more. But when I come to the tree and see the end result of all my efforts to make myself righteous is that I crucify the righteousness himself, because Paul says Jesus is the righteousness. Well, I, I have to wake up to the realization that the whole endeavor is, is just dead. I haven't. I haven't created me in the image of God. I've created an anti-me that's a monster before God. So, yeah, there's a, and and I think that's all pictured in the garden story because um, the Adam, humanity, takes knowledge of good and evil in order to make himself in the image of God and then comes back to the tree and discovers that God um, gives grace and makes us in his own image. In fact, he's always done that. It's it's this dream that we have of justifying ourselves or creating ourselves that traps us in this illusion, the psychic body that's that's death. It is death.
1: So we all have died the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, we all of us. So how can we live in any longer than verse three? Or don't you know that all of us, this is the NIV, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when you go to baptism, Paul's really clear in several places that what you're saying is, uh, I, I'm dead, but I, I died in sin. I'd say that's the first death and baptism or faith is really the second death, um, the death of death. So, and and that's the presence of eternal life so we've done this crazy thing in the evangelical church where we've kind of given people this message jesus died so you don't have to die and i think paul is screaming no jesus came and died so you would die with him and you would rise from the dead with him that you would die to this old body of sin and death the psychic body and and the physical body and just to, make, to wake you up, you, you notice every day that your physical body is dying. Well, your psychic body has to go that same way. When you go to baptism, you're saying, I can't save myself. I can't redeem myself. I can't create myself. I'm trusting God to wash away my sin, the sin, which is thinking I could create myself, and fill me with this new awareness that he is my creator, which is this living knowledge that is Christ's very spirit which is the very thing he delivered up on the tree that descends
1: into the old empty vessel that is me or the old me well i uh, i come out of a, uh, a tradition that emphasized uh, baptism by immersion so we recognized all forms of baptism but uh we um we thought that we had discovered something that the greek word baptizo meant immersion
0: yeah. and
1: Uh, But to me, this isn't just about the form or arguing about what form of baptism we should use. But I almost read this. Don't you know that all of us have been immersed Mm -hmm. into Christ and immersed into his death? I mean, completely, completely covered, you know, covered over when I would baptize people and the water would cover them completely over. And then you would raise them back up out of the water that was a very dramatic representation of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had a, you know, Paul talks about one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So I I think you're totally right about the details of it. Um, And, you know, you can make all kinds of arguments that you and I know really well, but, but the point is that I think what Paul is saying is baptism is a picture of what happens when a person comes to to faith, and uh, Jesus talks about that. That if you have faith, um, he, you 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 pass through judgment. You you die and you're resurrected, which is what baptism is a picture of. I had a wild prayer experience with my wife recently. I was just so stressed about all sorts of things, and Susan will sometimes get visions. And i just i was praying about how i just had all this anxiety and my struggles and my insecurities and susan said i see this thing next to you peter and she said it's like a, a golem that's how she described it and um you know from like the movie the lord of the rings and and golem in in hebrew the hebrew is like means something like unformed uh, substance but it's like the self that's it's a self that hasn't received the breath of god is the idea and as I'm praying, she said, "It's just cowering there, and it's this kind of hideous thing in fear." And she said, "You need, you need to give, you need to give the golem. You need to give your old self." And I think it's a picture of the self that I create and anxiety and fear. You need to to give it to Jesus. And she said, "You need to throw it into the lake of fire." And in this vision she was having, there was this lake there, and I remember I stood up to try to motion to do it. And and I said, no, I think I'm supposed to throw it into the lake of love. Or I, I didn't say no. I just said, I think I'm supposed to throw it in the lake of love. and And then I motioned that way and kind of sat back down going, okay, that was weird. And she said, let me tell you what I just saw. She said, when you did that, I watched Jesus walk over to that golem and this is the weird thing you and jesus were somehow together in doing this and um you picked up the golem and all of you walked into that lake of fire you you walked in together or she said you walked into the lake of love and she said uh then i watched you and jesus rise out of that lake and that golem was was left there and she said this was the fascinating thing it was almost like jesus had sorrow for the golem or or whatever and um it was such a meaningful thing for for me because i realized yeah that's the baptism that i'm to remember every day that that old self that really is all my trouble anxiety fear um that self i think i create i have to keep walking back into that Like a fire, you know. Jesus said he came to baptize with fire, and baptize in the Holy Spirit. And an interesting thing that happened afterwards is Susan was talking about the vision, and she said, you know, um, Jesus uh, had you um, walk that golem, that old self into the the lake of love and um he told you to walk into the lake of love and i said well no i was the one that said lake of love you, you had said lake of fire and she said no jesus told you lake of love and i said no i said lake of love and she said you mean you don't you don't know and i said what she said when in the vision i watched jesus uh, walk up to you and and whisper in your ear call it the lake of love and uh, i hadn't and which just kind of blows my mind because i'm i'm thinking how often does jesus do that so so that every good thought i think is really comes right from his spirit and yet all those thoughts of fear shame that all comes from the sin or from from the lie so i think baptism is is so important but when we argue about, you know, do you have to get every finger under or, or do you have to get your toe under whatever, we're just missing mm-hmm. the point. And that is that we that we've died with Christ and rise with Christ. And when we remember that, we repent and we have a new way of thinking.
1: Well, um, this kind of gets us back to this Second uh, Corinthians 5.14, that one has died for all and there consequently all have died in him. And so... I I kind of have this image of Jesus when Jesus going under the water, being immersed in the baptism of death, but taking all of us along with him. Yeah. And 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 the vision Susan had, that's exactly what happened. He just walked all of us into that lake of fire. And then so our baptism then is is more of a conscious identification with Christ prior baptism in death on behalf of us on behalf of us all
2: yeah and And paul talks about it like we were actually in christ so we we talk about it a lot of times in just psychological terms paul talks about it in kind of ontological terms um you know that that this really happened so when he says in verse two how can we who died to this then still live in it the obvious answer to the question is well because we don't know we're dead And so he's, we don't know that we're dreaming. We don't know we're dead. Um, So yeah, he's waking us up. All right,
1: let's go to verse four. Yeah. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life.
2: Yeah. I mean, some interesting things about that verse is there's an article in front of death. So it's, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into the death. And I think that's, he's saying, well, when God first told Adam about the death, the day you eat of it, die and you will die. And then he says, in order that um, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness or newness of life. There's I don't think there's an article, but To me that's rather fascinating because that doesn't mean try harder that means we walk in an entirely different way and that has to do with eternal life and that the presence of eternal life is living in the current moment with with jesus there's a a newness to that um i also think it's interesting that he points out jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the father and we have this way of thinking well, to be a Christian is just to try really hard. <laughs> and, and I think Paul is pointing out, well, trying really hard is what gets you what gets you dead. It's waking up to the reality of what God has done that then gives you life. And that's something that God has to do. You, so, you know, if you ever tried to wake yourself up from a dream, that's pretty hard. It takes a word being whispered into your false reality from another reality. So you're having a nightmare and your husband, your wife, whoever whispers, wake up, you're having a nightmare. In that moment, a word is coming from that person and entering your psyche, which is which is fascinating because we've all had this experience, right? You're dreaming a dream, and you're creating this reality in your dream. And then something is happening in the outside world that you can't integrate with your dream world. It just doesn't fit. And Jesus himself is that thing that doesn't integrate with this self-centered world in which we live. And that's the voice of the Father waking us up from this nightmare.
1: There's also it's also interesting that there's an article in front of the word baptismatos there. It's two baptismatos so that it's the baptism. Yeah. Which is interesting. I mean that it's not just through baptism, but it's through the baptism, mm-hmm. which I think Leads me to think, oh, this is Christ's immersion into death for us all. That's the baptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. It, I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but I just thought that was interesting too. Yeah, Paul. Paul sees
2: an incredible unity between all these different things, and I think a, a lot of that has to do partly with this concept of of time. In that, um, when we encounter Jesus, we come to the um, to the end of the ages. So baptism like the cross like the trees they stand at the edge of our experience of temporal reality and eternity which also has to do with the newness of life so um this is that weird little vision i was just sharing praying with my wife i after uh, we jesus walked us into the all of us into the lake of fire i remember i said something like um i said to susan ask jesus should this have happened long ago? And I think what I was doing is I was trying to place blame on myself. Like I should have prayed this prayer a long time before. Mm-hmm. And she said, Peter, Jesus is looking at you as if he's confused and he's asking the question, What's time? And I think that's really significant in that at any moment, everything can become new by simply walking into Jesus' reality. And so. But that, that's incredibly good news, uh, I think, because that means that I don't, that I can't make myself a success. I can't become a success. I can only be the success that I am right now in, in Jesus. The, the moment that I enter into that world of waking reality.
1: All right, let's move on to verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't that a great verse? And I mean, there's the
2: word united, I think it it means literally something like begotten with or, or born with, but he's saying, yeah, the death already happened. So you wake up from from the death. And that now this is really interesting because if it's true that the death has already happened, it's really happened for everybody. So I look around at the world and I go, what's wrong with all these people? Well they're dead and or they're lost in this dream and they haven't woken up yet. Um and he he's yeah, that there's a very that's a very inclusive statement, right? If all have died with them, he's saying, well we're all going to rise with them. Some may be some may be awake, some may not, but um, then that changes our job. We're proclaiming the good news, which wakes people up.
1: Well, um, and, and Paul has been very clear about this. He, it, that's affirmative. Have, 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 have we all been united with him in death? That's the affirmative. Mm-hmm. So when he says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, which the answer is yes, uh, so for if or since this is the case, then we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, that's pretty mind blowing.
2: Yeah. And he just and yeah, you can argue about the translation of if there, but the way he's formulating the argument, like some people will say, it's better translated since and you look at Second Corinthians and he clearly says it. Yeah, because one is died, all have died.
0: Right and, now, he's, and he there. also
2: said as an atom all die and that gets into a whole you know that whole fascinating discussion of um, how that the Adam is the imprint of the
1: last Adam humanity is the imprint of Christ well I, I just think that when you this is um to me this is what's interesting about if you really get into the Greek and look at some of this language and you just stop for a moment and just allow yourself just to let that verse sink in a little bit that. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I, I end up reading that over and over again, saying to myself, did Paul really just say that? Yeah, there's so many statements <laughs> like that. And we've just trained ourselves to say, no,
2: he can't say that. And I go, yeah, he just said it. I think he just said that. Well, and that's, okay. and this is the huge paradigm shift. And it, it all makes sense if God is still in the process of creating humanity in his image in space and time. It doesn't make sense if this life is some sort of test where God's trying to figure out who's good enough or strong enough or fit enough to
1: merit his His mercy. All right, let's look at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Yeah. Yeah,
2: so... In the Greek, there's some articles in there where it says that the body of the sin might be uh, brought to nothing, and I think that's what I was trying to say when we started the talk at the at the at the start. That we really Paul says we have a sin body, um, and this there are kind of a couple components to it. There's a physical body, and then there's also this psychic body, and it needs to be brought to nothing. In other words, God needs to reveal that it's an illusion. Like you have dreamed up this thing you call yourself, and uh, the dream has turned into a nightmare. Uh, You are not your own creator. I'm your creator, and I'm going to reveal to you
1: who you truly are, and that's incredibly good news. Well, what what it kind of says to me is that the body that is dominated by the sin has been demoted are removed from a position of leadership; that it's it's no longer in charge of me, so it can't it cannot run the show, it, right? Because I I see that it's
2: an illusion and it's death, and that body runs on the idea that I have to create myself, I have to justify myself. I think a great name for it, what in casual parlance is ego, and you know now so much of the world is waking up to the um, to the deceptive nature of the human ego and yet so much of the church i think is so trapped by it because we because we live by the law what paul would call the law um, knowledge of good and evil used to
1: justify the the self that is a, that is a great irony that the church has by and large ended up kind of recreating the problem yeah, which 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 is inc- incredibly biblical because now Paul you know
2: towards it, it's further along you get in Romans. he's going to talk about his kinsmen, the Jews. When he talks about the Jews, I think we should probably be reading the church. Uh, it's his religious group and that's the deceptive nature of religion. and we shouldn't and we should always remember it, it wasn't the tax collectors and sinners that crucified Jesus, it was the religious folks. Because if he justifies you, it means that you cannot justify yourself. And so much of religion is about sneaky ways to justify the self.
1: All right, verse 7. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin.
2: Yeah, this verse is so huge. So I, I, I was kind of blown away when I got this into the Greek. The word set free is dikaiotai, which translated everywhere else is justified. So if you read this verse literally, and it's not that they, it's not that the way they translate it is untrue, it's just they decide to translate it that way here because they can't figure out how to fit this into the old paradigm. He writes, "For one who has died has been literally justified from the sin and justified means made right. In other words, <laughs> you needed to die. So what is it that God wants? He just wants us to give up this vain pursuit of making ourselves in his image. So, so far in Romans, Paul says we're justified by grace. We're justified by the faith of Jesus. We're justified by the resurrection of Jesus. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. We're justified by the life that is Jesus. And now he says we're justified by dying. And what are we dying to? We're dying to the Antichrist. We're dying to the imitation Christ. And what is the imitation Christ? It's Mises. It's what I call Mises that Peter Hyatt is saved by me, the old me, and, you know, Jesus is uh, Yeshua, which comes from Yahweh and the word for salvation. Jesus literally means Yahweh is salvation, but there's a part of Peter Hyatt that believes Peter Hyatt is salvation. I cannot believe those two things at once. If I believe, fully believe, that God is salvation, I cannot believe that Peter Hyatt is his own salvation. And this is where the gospel becomes incredibly offensive um, to people because it's the death of my ego. Once I really come to the cross and I see what it means, well, I'm not better than anybody else and I'm not worse than anybody else. I'm different than everybody else, but God is writing a unique story with me. He's writing a unique story with everybody, but the story is always good because uh, he's making all of us in his image and he is, His love.
1: Well, it's 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 neat now that there's uh, that there's free online interlinear, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, Greek English New Testament, totally. because you can anybody can go to any of those sites and see that 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 this set free this is really the Greek word there is decaio, which yeah. is such an important uh, word that runs all the way through Romans, and whenever you see that word, once you learn to look for it in the Greek, it kind of alerts you to oh, this is a big. This is a great, this is a big concept here. And that DK is
2: righteousness is big too, because it, it means God's the one that makes me right. I don't make me right. And, um, that's where, and then ironically you are set free, but what you're set free from is yourself.
1: All right. Verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah we've we've been united with jesus and he died and god raised him from the dead and that's uh yeah that's the pattern
1: now there's a um uh, you know in the old way of reading it I might have read this before now if we died with christ which raises the question well have we died with christ or not well paul is clearly affirmative
2: right right that
1: this is that so this is this, this to me that that ae in the greek this is where it carries that, that, that idea of sense, that it's something yeah. you know, for if this has happened or for since this is the case. So for since this is the case that we have died with Christ, what we believe is that we will also live with him.
2: Yeah, and that's where it's so important that people just read the whole book of Romans in one sitting and keep reading it. Because Paul has spent five chapters arguing that we already died, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all are justified by his grace as a gift so when he says when he uses the ae there it, that gets translated if well, we're saying if this and he's just spent five arguing chapters arguing this is true we we died with christ and he just said it at the start of the chapter then this other thing happens. so the whole verse of the day thing in romans is really frustrating because i'm like well you know if you took one of my letters And said, I'm going to have a sentence of the day from Peter's letters. I go at the Mm -hmm. end of five years. You'd have no clue what I was writing the letter about. (laughs) All
1: right. Verse nine. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say about that. That's fairly straightforward. Yeah. That, um, that once you, once you, died to something you don't need to die again so uh, you know and this is an interesting argument i would think against the idea of eternal to conscious torment because they talk about some sort of endless death which biblically is just a bizarre concept um so jesus died once you get your dying over with you're done with it
1: yeah that is interesting and in paul's in 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 this chapter you can see that he's going back and forth between death and life not between life and eternal torment right that, that that's his clear paradigm there. Yeah, eternal. For me, I, the more I look at scripture, I'm going, just this, this eternal
2: torment idea, or I should put it this way, endless torment. Because I do think our temporal reality gets tormented by eternity. Yeah. But that's a different, or aeonious yeah. right, yeah.
1: torment, torment in the age to come, or the aeonian <laughs> torment, or the, the torment that comes from God towards well, us. I, my picture of being baptized,
2: my prayer, I think I was being tormented by eternity and eternity is the truth that i'm loved by god that he justifies me that's torment to my ego that thinks this justifies its itself um but yeah the idea of in chronological time an endless death in chronological time is really a bizarre idea because it never comes to an end and that's a bizarre idea too because jesus is the end of all things he's the end of that chronological thinking or the cause and effect thinking that we all
1: live in because ultimately God is the cause. All right. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, well, and I think that has, I think Paul is, that has to do with what life is and what death is. So Um, death is being trapped in myself and cut off from the life, which is this thing that's bigger than me. But when I live, I live to God and I live to others. So if you, if you picture, you know, Paul had this idea that we're all the body of Christ. And when when we're, when you're a member of a body, you constantly give life and receive life from the other members of the body. So you're not living for yourself. You're not trapped in yourself and cut off from the body. You're reunited with the body, constantly giving life and receiving life through the blood that flows through the whole body.
1: Well, there's the there's an interesting going thing going on here with the dative again. So it's the death he died, he died to the sin. And mm-hmm. I think that gets us back to the garden again. He died yeah, exactly. to Exactly. He, well, so uh, he's uh, dying he, he's dying to the to the sin of Adam, so he's that that he's dying then once for all for everyone. Yeah.
2: So So, exactly. So, and you think about the sin of the Adam. What happened immediately after Adam took the fruit? He began to hide. He cut himself off from the presence of God. And God goes walking in the garden. And I think Adam at this point is really a, there's so much going on in the picture. But the thing that separates um, Adam from God is Adam's consciousness um, he started dreaming the dream that he's his own creator and he can't stand the presence of his creator.
1: All right. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Yeah.
2: So stop thinking of yourself as, um, as cut off and alone and dead. Uh, well, consider that you have been dead and now you're dead to that death. So I think that's that's the death of death really is faith um, because you are connected now to Christ Jesus. So, yeah, there's um, sort of a movement new reality.
1: From, there's a movement from the indicative to the imperative. So in, in a sense, I think what Paul is saying is be alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> deal with reality. Yeah. Wake up <laughs> and interact with the
2: reality that is outside of you.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires
2: yeah right so yeah let not the sin therefore reign in your death-like body yeah you
1: you you included the definite article there again therefore not let the sin Mm -hmm. be reigning it's active yeah yeah
2: yeah so in other words the, the sin is a lie right so the The lie comes from the evil one, who speaks the lie to the Adam, and that's another way of saying stop believing the lie. Um, And if you don't believe the lie, then the lie won't reign in your body to make you obey its passions. And what is the passion of the flesh to justify the self? To to and and the way and you know, gosh, um, the pictures are kind of shocking because my physical body. It increases in size by literally eating the life that is around me and you know and god put us in these bodies for a time but that physical body is really a a parable or a picture of what my old psychic body does i always Mm -hmm. i want to be better than everybody else and that is a walking death
1: yeah this is and this is uh, i like thinking about the active tense of these verbs So it's sort of when you get into that, it's so it's therefore do not let the sin be reigning so that you are uh, so that you are obeying its evil desire. So don't let this don't let this be happening. This is a thing that this is like an energy or an activity that can that can kind of take on a life of its own. So don't let it be reigning in you. I, I like that yeah well now
2: that's that's a huge thing that we that we talked about um in the messages because i I think we look at these verses and say oh he's talking about before i said the sinner's prayer at the billy graham meeting and after i said the sinner's prayer at the billy graham meeting but i think paul when you pay attention to paul he's saying no i'm always talking about both because while we live on this earth we have an old man and we have a new man so um we, we talked about that the fact that there's um, one tree and two mes so let me see if i can explain that but we all assume that there is there are two trees and one me and what i mean by that is um, i i think i'm i am what i make myself and there are two judgments of god a judgment that i can either be eternally tormented or um, you could say that, the judgment of condemnation, or there is a judgment of justification where I can be forever rewarded. So we all live in this world trying to get the one judgment and not the other judgment. I think what Paul is saying is no, there's one judgment. The problem is that there are two yous, there are two persons. And, at, and I, I, I think that the, the, the picture, what I had people do in church is hold up a thumb and then look at the cross in the background, which the Bible calls a tree. And I said, you know, if you focus on your, your thumb and you think of that as me, if you focus on me, then you're going to see two trees because of the way our eyes work. But if you focus on the tree and the judgment of God, that the judgment of God is one, then you're going to see two, two me's. And I think the judgment of God, what Paul is saying throughout Romans, is that every person has to die with Christ and every person has to rise with Christ. And that means that there is a judgment of condemnation. My old man, that bad dream, has to die. So we all have to go to the cross with Jesus. And the reality of who I am in Christ has to be born, has to be manifest. And so these, so what I'm saying is that every day I um, am being invited to live in the reality of God's judgment and see that there are two me's. One of them is dead and one of them is alive. And there's one judgment. And another way to say this is the judgment of God is love or the judgment of God is light or the judgment of God is that you must be made in my own image. And but the moment I think that I am the judge and and there's one me, well, then I divide God in two one of one god is a monster and the other god is is Jesus and then that leads to all sorts of historical yeah. heresies as you know
1: all right verse 13 do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness
2: yeah yeah so yeah, do not present your, your body parts to the sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So don't believe the devil's lies, because when you give yourself to the devil, he uses you for his purposes, but present yourself like a sacrifice, um, and that's what Paul Paul's going to work. He's working towards this. Roman, so when everybody says, what does all this mean? Paul's going to tell us in Romans 12, he's going to say, therefore, present your bodies that, that that would be your psychic body, your physical presented all as a sacrifice um, to God, because you're a part of God. You're you're the body of the Christ, and so if you th- if you think of yourself as independent, you and you, you trap yourself in the sin, and you really become a slave of the devil. And you know Jesus even talked about the Pharisees as being the offspring of the devil. They're the product of a lie. And yet he's also going to save them, tell them who they truly are, that they are part of his very own body, the temple that he's creating.
1: Well, when I was uh, growing up, I was in band and I played uh, a wind instrument. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are some instruments that are wind instruments and some that are not. But a wind instrument is interesting because you make it come alive by putting your breath through it. Yeah, yeah. And this idea of being an instrument of righteousness, uh, presenting myself as an instrument of righteousness that God moves God's breath through and makes beautiful things. Yeah. Happen. That's
2: a great picture.
1: Yeah. You know, that that's not me struggling. Yeah. That's me just turning myself over and putting myself in God's hands and say, play a beautiful song.
2: Yeah. Yeah, another, another way to think about that, too, is that the, that horn is a part of a symphony, right, being mm-hmm. done by a conductor. So you could say, well, I'm going to go toot my own horn off in the corner by myself, or you could be part of this orchestra. And it, then if you ask the question, well, which is more free, then that gets into Paul's definition of freedom, which he's going to be talking
1: about in a little bit. Right, we're, we're, we're getting ready. We're going we're gonna to get yeah. into that territory. Okay, well, we're, it's going to happen right now. Verse 14. Okay. <laughs> yeah uh, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace
2: mm-hmm. yeah so once you believe that you have been justified you can't you can't believe that you have to justify yourself which is a lie of the devil one that the devil that traps us in sin and people would say well why is how is a person that's drinking too much trying to justify themselves well i go they're trying people get drunk to to die to themselves and to have communion with other people it's just that they're seizing control of the process trying to do what god wants to do in another way so and um, and, mm -hmm.
1: and we're getting into uh as we get into this last the, the second half I think of of chapter six, we're going to be talking about masters and slaves, and that's very difficult language for us to understand. We're not used to that right. um, that terminology, that way of thinking, but in the ancient world, everybody kind of understood themselves to be under the mastery of of another, uh, yeah. the emperor. I'm, I'm under the mastery of the emperor and there were a lot of people that were in slavery but it was a diff, it was a different kind of slavery than than the very pernicious uh, 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 skin color based slavery that we ended up with in the United States slavery was a different kind of arrangement in the ancient world where there was people were discharging economic debt or they had been defeated in a war or something like that but but they were familiar with this idea of having masters or being slaves in 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 a different societal context than we are so we have kind of have to keep this in mind as we proceed through the rest of Romans 6 here yeah let me
2: throw another idea in there this may be a monkey wrench to that idea but i think it's really fascinating and profound i mean i think slavery in the roman empire was you know did come in a variety of forms but it was really bad in some ways maybe even worse but I, I think we miss kind of the something. And then this, this happens a lot because the word slave will get translated out as servant or whatever. And then we have pictures of these beloved servants. I think Paul is saying, We're, you're all slaves. We're all going to be slaves. And you can either be slaves of the masters of this world, which are all under the power of the evil one, or you can be slave of, of God and of Jesus. And then here's the utter shock. And then then he's going to say, now look at Jesus. And Jesus is the one that made himself slave to all of us. So our master is the Lord of all who has become slave of all and is hanging naked, nailed to a tree. And if you think about um, slavery as an institution, which, of course, is a horrifying institution, there are really two ways that you could undo slavery. And one is you could use legislation and you could make everybody in society into a master. Well, that's exactly what we've done in the United States of America. And yet you can make an argue, argument that everybody is more enslaved to anxiety, fear, and depression than, than, than ever. And why? Well, it's because we've made everybody a slave to their own ego. But there's another way you could undo slavery and that is you could make everyone look like Jesus the Christ. And that would mean everyone would go around saying, no, after you, no, after you, no, after you, no, let me save you, let me save you. And and that mentality, that repentance would produce something like a, a living body. And I think that's what, that's what Paul sees, and that's what he's aiming for. And that's what Paul demonstrates, because Paul himself ends up being beheaded. Uh, he ends up being a a slave to the people well, he's a slave to God but on behalf of the people that that are around him so I think as Americans we have such a, a high view of individualism and self-assertion and ego that we've blinded ourselves to our own bondage and the answer isn't some sort of enforced communism the answer is a new heart and you just can't get to a new heart through the law
1: well, now we get to verse 15 in a way we kind of start. Paul starts back over again with the question that he that, that we began with. Uh, verse 15. What then shall we sin? Uh, because we are not under the law, but under grace by yeah. no means. Yeah, which my Greek teacher
2: used to always say you should always translate that meganoitos. Hell no. He's saying, hell no. You're not getting the picture. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Yeah, and and I think the way Paul says it in Greek is even a little more abrupt. He says
2: either of sin, and then there's just this preposition, ice into death, or obedience into righteousness like once you sin you just walked into death and once you are obedient you just walked into righteousness
1: well and there's a way that i can be a slave to me which is yeah, a weird
2: and, <laughs> yeah and then here's the thing and righteousness paul is going to make the argument and paul has makes it through all his letters that jesus is our righteousness so when i when i'm obedient from the heart i'm in jesus i'm somehow in the body of, of christ and that's a and then it was you know, of course and that's what real freedom is
1: right i know in a way i'm kind of learning to be me by not being me in yeah a, in an ironic
2: well you're being you're being you as part of the reality that god has created so when you think about the dream you're a slave to your nightmare, right? And the irony is you're a slave to yourself because your consciousness is trapped. And when you dream, you are creating a reality. A dream is such a fascinating thing. And yet when that dream turns into a nightmare, you're stuck. And uh, I think Paul is saying, yeah, all of humanity is stuck in a nightmare.
1: All right, verse 17. Oh, wait a second. Am I at verse 16? No, I'm at verse 16, I think. Yeah. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Yeah. See, I think we did just look at that one, but I I think it's two ways of thinking. Um, Okay. So, yeah. All right, let's go on to 17. Mm -hmm. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Yeah,
2: this verse is like so fascinating. And I think it's, it gets translated a bunch of different ways. So I think some, I think Paul is describing something here that most people don't see. And it goes back to the picture of the, of the Tupas. So, and we talked about that before that each one of us, our old self is a type of our true self. It's like the imprint, uh, an empty space left by, uh, it's like the imprint of who it is that we truly are or the absence of who we truly are um, in the clay. And when he says the pattern of the teaching, he uses the word tupos that he's already used when he said that, um, that we are, that Adam is a, a tupas of the one who is being about to be. So the ESV like adds some words and I, I don't usually read the NIV, but like in the in the EVS, ESV, it says, but thanks be to God that you who, well, they just added the who there. Um, and if I translate it more literally, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of the sin. It's a shocking verse. And I see why they change it because Paul is just saying, Give thanks for your old man, um, which is crazy. And you go, how on earth could he say that? Well, only if you believe Paul's big theory, <laughs> Romans eleven thirty two, that God consigned all the disobedience in order that he may have mercy on all. So he says, thanks be to God that you were once slaves of the sin. Um, thanks be to God that you were once slaves of the sin, but were obedient from, out of, it's this... Greek little word ek out of the heart to the imprint, the tupos of the doctrine. um, Let's see, to which or into which you were handed over. Now, I just said a whole lot there, um, but now I got to talk about another Greek word that's totally fascinating, and that's this word the ESV has committed, but in Greek, the word is parodidomai or and you know, depending on how it's used in the sentence. And that's translated hand over, betrayed, or delivered up. And that's the word that's used for Jesus, that Jesus was hand over, betrayed, and delivered up. He was made the sacrifice. And Paul says, well, you were made the sacrifice. And so you've got to ask the question, well, when was I handed over? When was I delivered up? And what Paul has been saying is you were delivered up when Um, Jesus died on the cross, and now you are becoming obedient from the heart. So So I think this is the picture that Paul is saying, is when you sinned, when Adam sinned, he created a false self. But that false self has a purpose, because now you are being obedient from the heart. In other words, the life of God is welling up from inside of you, just like Jesus said the living water would well up inside of you. And it's filling that old man, that old Tupas, with the mercy of God. So in the very place where sin increase, this is what Paul said in chapter 5, and this is what I think Paul is working toward, where sin increase, which is my old sinful dead self, um, grace about it all the more. And what is grace? Well, it's the very lifeblood of Jesus. So what does Jesus do with my old man? He destroys it by making it a new man. What does Jesus do with my old corpse? He bleeds his life into my old corpse, and so should I be grateful. I, I shouldn't sin. Paul's saying, "Do not sin." Should you sin? Hell no. But be grateful that you did sin, because the fact that you did sin reveals the character of God our Father, and that is that He is absolute grace.
1: And there's speaking of grace that that's the way the verse starts out. It gets translated thanks be to god but the greek word there is charis yeah grace is be also to god.
2: yeah right
1: yeah so i think that's fascinating too oh it is yeah
2: i didn't point that out but yeah the word is, is charis there um so uh, the my new man the man that god creates is not the absence of what i should be but the presence of who god is in me and who God is in me is this new thing that's constantly new because that's eternal life. That's the life of the coming age being bled into this old empty vessel that was me. And now, David, this is where it gets so cool because now all of this is going to be super important when we get to chapters 9 and 10. And Paul's going to start talking about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. And we have made, I think, the mistaken notion that some people are vessels of wrath and other people are vessels of mercy. But when you pay attention to all that Paul is saying is, and what he says in all his letters is, I think he's saying, no, we were all these vessels of wrath. We were these empty old selves. But that empty old self becomes a vessel of mercy because God bleeds his life into this old corpse that was us and makes it new.
1: All right, let's continue on to verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness." Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that's so great. So right there, if you just take Paul at his word, he's going to argue that Jesus is the righteousness, um, and he put so right once again the articles there. So he's not just talking about any righteousness; he's talking about the righteousness. And in you know, in Corinthians, he says God has made Jesus our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So what's wisdom in Peter? Well, it's Jesus in Peter. What's righteousness in Peter? That's the life of Jesus in Peter. He's the he makes me right with him. Himself. So, you know, Paul's been talking about justification. This is so huge. I can't, I can't make myself right. God makes me right by bleeding his righteousness into me, the very life of Christ
1: into me. All right. Verse 19. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just mm-hmm. as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness.
2: Yeah, this is so cool. Um, So he literally says, not your natural limitations." He says "The, the weakness of your flesh. In other words, when you're living in that old sin body, all you think about is yourself. So it's really hard to explain to you now the love of God in Christ Jesus, because you will see everything through the lens of that selfishness. So he says, yeah, you're a slave. I'm speaking in human terms, um, but as you presented yourself as slaves to the impurity and the sin um, and to lawlessness, which goes spirals into more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to the righteousness. And Jesus is, uh, and there's an article in front of righteousness Jesus is the righteousness. So present yourselves to Jesus. Now, this is where it's so cool, but who is Jesus? Well, he's the the ruler of all things that made himself a slave for the love of you. So he's the slave that's hanging on the tree. Um, and that's your father, by the way, because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So I'm presenting myself to the father who loves me absolutely. And in this, in the uh, sermon, I think I told the story of Elizabeth the day she wanted to run away. And, you know, and I let her, I, I, well, I, she, didn't, she didn't want a daddy is what she told me. So I said, okay, Elizabeth, you don't have a daddy. And I just stopped talking to her. And by the end of the day, she was throwing herself across my lap. I'm in the car. It was the greatest thing, sobbing, I want a daddy, I want a daddy. So I I gave her up to be a slave of her old her own desires until she got sick of them. And then she and in order to she realized, no, I, I really do want a dad. So the, the master is our dad who dies for us, suffers for us. But then this is also fascinating. The master on the tree is also our bridegroom. And now pretty soon, Paul's going to start talking about fruit. And then it really gets fascinating. And then we really struggle because we have all these weird hangups about sexuality and marriage and identity. And we miss the beautiful story that God is telling and that is that humanity is also a bride, and when a bride enters into a covenant, when I marry people, I say to them, "Look, you're, 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 you're signing yourself over to another person in an unconditional covenant. Another way of saying that is you are making yourself a slave to this other person. So God in in Jesus is saying." Um, yes, would you surrender yourself to me because I have already surrendered myself to you. So the bridegroom is hanging on the tree who's covenanted himself to us. So who are we a slave to? Well, we're a slave to the bridegroom who longs to fill us with life and bless us with all things. And not only that, this is, sorry, now I'm going off, but he, he, he wants to take up residence in our heart so that our decisions are also his decisions. Well, his decisions are so free that he speaks reality into existence. We are all predestined to freedom, and we have no idea the kind of freedom that God wants to give us. Um, That we will actually have the freedom of the Word of God who speaks reality into existence is, I think, a biblical truth that's utterly mind-boggling.
1: All right, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Yeah.
2: So you enslave yourself to the devil and you separate yourself from
1: Jesus. All right, verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Yeah, and this is what's so frustrating to me about modern translations. So the NIV just
2: said benefit. Well, the word in Greek is fruit. So if you, you know, and fruit is not the same as benefit. So if you, if you in that society, um, fruit could refer to the, like the kind of fruit that you get on a tree, but fruit also refers to babies. So um, you and I are fruit. We're fruit of our mother's womb and fruit of our father's seed. And if you lived in ancient society, you knew that. And there was one word for for seed and the word was, was sperma and everything was about bearing fruit. And so the occult was, you know, had all to do with all sorts of uh, corruptions of sexuality, trying to get the land to be fruitful and people to be fruitful. But true religion also had something that uh, was also about um, sexuality in the sense that Jesus is the great bridegroom and we are his bride. So if I, um, if I think that fruit is something I can do, well, I'm going to create robots. I'm going to, I can't. I can't just, if I'm a woman, I can't just decide to have a baby. If I go try to make a baby, I'll make a little Frankenstein. The way that I have a baby is I surrender in a covenant, a covenant of love to my bridegroom. And he impregnates me with seed and all this language I know freaks everybody out, pushes their buttons because Satan's always messing with us about it. But what is the seed? Well, that's this living word that God speaks into my nightmare, right? So um, he speaks this word into my nightmare that turns out, and Paul's going to talk more about this here in chapter 8, it turns out that that's almost like a womb. So my old my old self uh, is giving birth to my new self because the seed of God has been spoken into the emptiness and is revealing the new me that is being created in time and yet is somehow eternal because God is not stuck in our space time framework.
1: There's a, there's also another contrast here and Paul is saying that, that what we, what we reap uh, is death. And so here again, it's not eternal conscious torment. And when I was growing up, I didn't grow up going to church, but the, The message that I got from people who went to church and when I the few times that I went to church was that what I was going to reap was going to be eternal conscious torment if I didn't if I didn't do what they were saying. And it's just really it really helped me when I instead of thinking that way, I thought, no, I'm what I'm headed towards is death or annihilation or the cessation of life. That that made a lot more sense to me. That what's on what's on the line here. What we're talking about here is life, and what what leads to life, and what leads away from life.
2: Yeah, well, and you could make it even, I think, a lot more graphic than that. And that is, I th- I think what Paul is saying to that young David is, "Hey, David, when when you do anything, what is it that you really want? Well." Don't you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the good? Um, don't you want faith? In other words, w- when you go out to get drunk with your friends, what is it that you really want? Well, you want love, you want communion, you want to relax, you want peace. And you see, if you do that with, you know a, a six pack of whatever, um, it doesn't work. You don't actually get those things that way. You get an imitation and then you wake up realizing, That it was dead in other words you're making love to the wrong thing (laughs) and and but if you but if you surrender to righteousness well those things are going to start showing up and those are fruit so life is like one long lesson in this verse god says okay you go try to make life on your own and you make an imitation life you make a fake life you make a false christ and then we all die and we don't only die physically psychically we die because you realize you know what this just isn't working the way i try to rule the entire world and i'm dead inside that's what paul you know uh, solomon would talk about vanity of vanities all is vanity and striving after the wind but when i stop and realize that the wind has been striving after me the spirit of god is striving after me and i surrender to their living righteousness so so the righteousness is Christ. He's not a dead thing, he's a living thing. And he inhabits, he inhabits that communion and he is love,
1: joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith in me. All right, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Yeah, so check this out. Now, this is a
2: literal translation, okay? So remember the word benefit is actually fruit. But this would be a real literal, um, right from the interlinear sort of translation. But now that you have been set free from the sin and have become slaves of God, you have your fruit unto sanctification or unto holiness and the end Eternal life. In other words, when you um, become a slave of God, when you surrender to God, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. They're, They're in you. God's in you. And the end. Now, this is utterly fascinating, but John and Paul both talk this way. Jesus is the end. And who else is Jesus? Jesus is also eternal life. So when you surrender to God, you have eternal life in you. You have an eternal seed in you that's growing and bleeding his very life into you. So it's not this, um, we tend to translate with this paradigm of cause and effect. Like I do this thing for God, very transactional, and then God does this thing for me. Paul isn't writing that way. He's writing about waking up to the reality of what God has already done. So it's not about, what I can do is the very what I can do is the very thing that imprisoned me in the first place, and we we always we seem to always want to translate back into that paradigm, and that's what pastors want to do with their congregations: get them to do something that they want them to do. And Paul is saying, "No, I want you to wake up to what's true and stop living this nightmare that is your own ego."
1: Well, another thing that's interesting here is that word that gets translated and is the Greek word telos. Yeah. And as I think about that, when I think whenever I hear the word "end" in English, I think, well, what what happens after I die? What's the end, the ultimate end? But the telos really is about the ultimate goal, or the goal, or the fulfillment of experiencing uh, the Aeonian zoe, the eternal life. Yeah. And so the fruit, the fruit is that I get to experience the fulfillment right now. Yeah, the, and what
2: are love, joy, peace, patience? They're like eternal realities show up in, showing up in the our experience of temporality. And this is where an understanding of the biblical view of time, I think, is huge because um, that's what I the the history of time and the Genesis of You, the book I wrote, is a whole lot about that because um, the the that e- that life of the age to come is not on. I don't think it's not chronological time. In fact, there's a verse in the revelation that gets translated out where the angel says, look, chronos will be no more. In other words, we'll no longer be enslaved to a linear progression of, of cause and effect. It doesn't mean that there won't be time, but all of the time will be filled with eternity. And that does a. If you, when you think that way, it does away with transactional thinking and, Everything is constantly new because age and aging or corruption and decay has to do with a bondage to linear time.
1: Well, and then let our last verse uh, for chapter six, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah. Or you could translate that in Christ Jesus, our
2: master, because... Lord means master, and that the wages of the sin, he says the wages of the sin, the articles in there, is, is death. In other words, if you're into wages, if you're into earning stuff, if you're into transactional relationships, particularly transactional relationships with God, well, then you're dead, but the free gift right now is this Ionios life in Christ Jesus, our, our master, and it's always new. It's always there for you. The moment you stop, and you present yourself as a living sacrifice, um, offering that old self up to God, and believing the new self that you already are.
1: And there's a uh, interesting thing here: that word "gift" is from the Greek word "charisma," which is also where we get the where we get the idea of grace. Yeah, yeah.
2: So in the end, the judgment of God is grace. And like I always say, it's all so profoundly simple, and that is that you are the creation of God. And if you are the creation of God, then it turns out you're actually not the creation of yourself. You you can be involved in the act of creation um, by surrendering yourself to the bridegroom, um, the one who is the creator, and he includes you in his work. But the moment you go up by yourself and create, this independent reality, over against God and over against other people, well, you've been cut off from the life, and and you're dead. And now this is fascinating too. So in the, the back to that two me's thing, there is a self that Peter Hyatt has created that really is is dead, and then there is a self that God has created that is eternal and always alive. Once I realized that there are two me's. Um, There is no me that can be justified. It's the death of my ego because one self is I and that self I have created and it's already condemned. And the self that God has created has has already been created and it's already justified. So if someone criticizes me and I'm thinking this way, I go, oh, thank you. Maybe you just pointed out my old self and I, I want to kill him. I need to kill him. I need to deliver him up to death. I need to expose him. And, and yet if, it, if you compliment me, I go, oh, that's wonderful. That's, uh, that's the life of Jesus in me, but, I, but, I'm not, uh, but it's not my own creation. So in that process, I'm set free from my old self, and there is no self to justify. There's no, there's no need to advance Peter Hyatt. The, the, the only desire is then to worship God, and I think that's where God is taking all of us.
1: Well, one of the things that's been uh, interesting to me in this journey, as I have come to see grace just becoming finally everything, and as as I've been trying to explain this, sometimes the reaction that people have has been, "Oh, well, I guess you stop believing Scripture then." And yeah. <laughs> so, well, actually, it's kind of it's kind of the reverse. It's actually been a more intimate engagement with Scripture that has gotten me here. And so that's why I appreciate these conversations with you where we're just walking through we're, we're just walking through the the whole the whole text and I appreciate your sermons that you do on this and I appreciate your time just taking just walking through the Greek text with us. And I, I want to continue to do this. Uh, it may take us a while to get through Romans, but if I can help show people that no this is not a disengagement from the text this is actually a deep engagement with the text yeah i absolutely
2: love that david i you know that's what i try to tell people too cuz people and i i think people have stopped saying this about me cuz then i i challenge them to go look at scripture together but yeah that drives me absolutely nuts they think we're being sloppy with scripture and it's taking scripture very seriously that leads to this realization that everything is grace, which is so funny because it's the obvious conclusion from reading the first chapter of the Bible that God creates everything, and He creates it out of nothing, which means we didn't bring anything to the table to start the bargain. You know, there's enough. We don't have any bargaining chips. We're we're uh, this creation of the grace of God, and and there, it's all it's that's always the case. We we live by grace. So, but let me mention too that. Romans 6 is so cool and there's so much paradigm shifting that if people want to it's it's actually best if they can watch sermons um because i try to use a lot of pictures and diagrams and they can watch them at relentless-love.org um we also have and there there there's also we have transcripts and that sort of thing because i and i and i have these transcripts because i'll put in a lot of footnotes and references to the language issues and all but it's hard to talk about them while you're preaching. Um, And then uh, also we have a Peter Hyatt channel on YouTube where people can watch them. But I know you listen to the podcast, which is great too, but I often feel like um, some things would be easier to understand if people saw the picture. So so anyway, I would encourage people to watch these four sermons. Uh,
1: Well, I was thinking uh, this morning, the thought came to me that, Peter Hyatt you are like a spiritual alarm clock you are <laughs> you are helping us to wake up and i really enjoy the chance to walk through uh, i have some familiarity with the greek and i enjoy studying the greek but every time i get to talk with you about the greek text i learn even more so i really appreciate these uh, conversations and your sermons and your scholarship and it's just all leading to such a wonderful helping us wake up to such a wonderful realization so god bless you in your in your ministry and we will continue to be following you and looking forward to more conversations
2: yeah thanks for doing this david you're awesome i love this podcast so i um, appreciate you and this and this uh,
1: podcast all right well we'll talk to you soon okay bye bye
0: thank you for joining us in this episode of grace saves all You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.